0: Welcome to the Live Treasure Podcast, brought to you by Treasured Ministries, where every week we coach you with steps of faith you can take today to change your tomorrow. And now, on to today's show. Hey guys, today we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But before we get into our content— I have an announcement that I wanna share with you. I'm getting ready to launch a brand new Bible study called God Godfidence. It's going to be on Exodus 15 through 19, and I'm launching this Bible study inside of the treasured tribe. And I'm going to be studying this inside of the tribe. I'm gonna be meeting weekly on Zoom with uh, other women to discuss what God is showing us through His Word. And so if Bible study is something that you're interested in, if you're ready to jump back into a routine, I want to invite you to join the Treasure Tribe and study with me and with women really all over the country. You know, God's Word will change your life. It is life-changing. And When you study God's Word inside of community, the healing effects just multiply. So if this is something that interests you, um, go to the Treasure Tribe website at treasuretribe.com, sign up for membership, and then wait for an email from me inside of your inbox that will tell you everything that you need To participate, and I hope to see you there. So, as I said in the very beginning, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to first just say that I know that this is sometimes a controversial um, topic. When I became a new Christian at the age of 22, it took me about a year to figure out that. It was so controversial. It was almost like sometimes it was taboo, like people didn't talk about it inside of Bible study. And so, probably because it was controversial, it it really interests me, and and um and and the Lord just began to, um, take me on a journey with that inside of the Word, and I began to, uh, read, um, what other. Saints had written about the Holy Spirit. People that I respected, like Corey Ten Boom and Dwight Moody, and so forth. And um, and really, you know, um, I I, I want to just say that I know this is controversial, and I know that you know your church may have a very definite opinion on what it is and what it is not. But I think that it grieves God that we're so controversial about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is. so is a gift. It's what He gave to us, um, what lives within us. And without it, without it, how do we have joy? How do we have peace? How do we have navigation? I I mean, there's no way. It all comes from God. And, you know, I think that it's a hard topic to talk about, to teach on, because people don't want to step on anybody else's toes or offend people. But this summer, I heard a sermon that was so beautiful. Um, It just so portrayed the heart of God, I feel, for the Holy Spirit. And so I immediately contacted um, Pastor Brian Hart of One Harbor Church in Moorhead City, And he was so gracious. He's going to allow me to share his message uh, that he gave. And so in today's podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you his sermon that he gave inside of church. Next week, um, Pastor Brian is coming on our show. I'm interviewing him about his sermon. And so Um, Today is really part one, so sit back and enjoy this beautiful sermon on God's, one of God's greatest gifts to us, the Holy Spirit. You know what? Um, He told us, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so many of us have walked through traumatic experience where we have felt rejected and abandon and um, and inside those places, what a gift to know that that's not our God and that we have God. God is here; He is present with us. And there's nothing, nothing you and I will face today or tomorrow that God is not with us and for us. And you've got a purpose that matters, and the power for your purpose flows from the Holy Spirit. So enjoy this message from Pastor Brian Hart.
1: Okay, so we're now going to um, pivot from that uh, back into the, the sermon series that we've been doing. Um, opening God's word, trying to get all the treasure we can. That's what we do when, we, when there's preaching of the word. We're trying to hear God's words to us so that we can grow in faith. And so we've been looking at What is the local church? What is the church? And what's the purpose of the church? And what does the church need? These are things that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, The church needs leadership, and the church needs gifted partners. And today, we're talking about how the church needs the Holy Spirit. This is going to be our our final sort of week looking at the church, and we're going to land it in our ever-present need for the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to assume anything. Some people, especially those who are new to the church or new to Christianity, you've probably heard of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the force like in Star Wars. And And I'm only kind of half joking. I think in the sort of cultural imagination, people think of the Holy Spirit like a force, but he's not a force. He's a person. We believe that God is triune. It's this wonderful, marvelous thing Christians believe that we have one God. We don't have three gods. We have one God. But in one God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is a person in the Godhead. Um, also, just for what it's worth, it's kind of amazing. Today, uh, in, in churches that celebrate sort of a more fully-orbed church calendar, a lot of churches, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, which is kind of amazing. We didn't plan that, but there are actually churches all around the world today that are considering afresh. What does it mean that God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit? And it's called Pentecost Sunday for reasons that you'll see in a minute. Um, I want to tell you that what we're going to talk about today, I'm hoping will challenge everyone in the room to some degree. I don't know that there has been a sermon I've preached that has challenged me more than this one um, over the last week. So I, I mean, I'm dealing with this as much as anybody will be. Uh, I've been freshly challenged, but in the, in the best way, in the best way. Like I'm, my expectation is you're going to leave here feeling like you need the Holy Spirit more than you realize and you want him more than you did. That's my hope because he's promised to answer those desires. Um, I, I think that this, this will even just not to, only to us individually. I think that this could even be just a, a challenge to our whole church. The reality is that um, in at least in American evangelicalism, People are kind of in extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. On one side, you've got people who are so um, obsessive about experiences of the Holy Spirit that it becomes almost like your, your ranking in the tier of like holiness depends on what kind of experiences you've had. And maybe some of us have come out of that, something like that. But then on the other hand, you have people who say, well, you know, one thing anything to do with that. You've got a whole other group of Christians who they actually want no experiences of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe that they even happen anymore. And so they expect little, they ask for little, and I would say they receive little. So today, I want to show you what's on offer. I want to show you what you can have as an individual and what our church can have. And so we're going to start by reading three passages. We're going to read a few verses from Acts 1, a few verses from Acts 2, and a few verses from Romans chapter 8. So Acts is, we're going to start at the very beginning, Acts 1, verse 1. The saint, so Luke is the guy who wrote Acts. So the guy wrote Luke's gospel. He's picking it up. He's writing to his, this man named Theophilus. And here's how he begins his sequel to his gospel that we call Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, in the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs By his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria. And to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things. As they were looking on. He was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Then moving on to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then skipping down to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Like the, the languages, you know, all being sort of mixed up. And others were mocking, saying, well, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here, Peter reaches back into the Old Testament. And he quotes from the prophet. And basically what he's doing is he's quoting and he's saying this is happening. According to Joel, it's written, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then it goes on, but we're going to pivot from there over to Romans 8 and just read three verses. Paul says to the church in Rome, to Christians, So why does the church need the Holy Spirit? Frankly, because she cannot do anything without him and would not even exist without him. Every single thing that the church does, the Spirit empowers. Now, this morning, we're certainly not going to consider the full range of the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to highlight four things to you that I think these passages demonstrate about why we need the Holy Spirit. Four things. I wanna look at the presence, the power, the prophecy, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And then at the very end, we're gonna look at what do we do in response to this? We pray and we plead. Presence, power, prophecy, purpose, prayer, and pleading. Now, I am not normally a huge fan of alliteration, but as you can see today, I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the whole, okay, so first, the Holy Spirit gives us the permanent presence of God. Now, I would say, of everything you're going to hear this morning, this is probably one of the less controversial things. Romans 8, that last passage we read, uh, and many other passages in the Bible make it very clear that when you become a Christian, you do so by the power of the Spirit. You receive the Spirit, and He dwells in you. Paul says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So... Here's what you need to hear at the beginning is that anyone who is a Christian has the Holy Spirit in them dwelling in you. He says it differently in 1 Corinthians 12, "By one spirit, we're all baptized in one body. So even at water baptism, even when we are joined to the church, that is an act of the spirit of God. And the work the, sorry, the word for the work that the Holy Spirit does at, inside you, when you become a Christian, the word for that is regeneration. In other words, it's something like becoming a Christian is something that God does to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens is you hear the word of God. Someone told you or you read it. So you heard the word that Jesus Christ, the son of God became a man and died for you. And scripture says that that word is like a seed that gets planted in you. But the Holy Spirit is the one that causes that seed to come to life. He, the Holy Spirit puts faith in you and then lives in you. So, why does the church need the Spirit? Because you wouldn't even be a Christian without the Spirit. Oh, you could always come to Sunday meetings, sure. But joining the church means salvation into Jesus, into his family, into his body. And that takes the supernatural work of the Spirit. And so, the Spirit, if you are a Christian, the Spirit is always in you. Invisible, yes, but not abstract. Real, not theoretical. Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 20, he said, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's the kind of thing that people have come to say when someone dies. If someone dies, it's very common for some, you know, someone to say, oh, you know, so-and-so, they'll, they'll always be with you. And I'm not, I really don't want to, I'm not trying to be um, offensive, but I want to point out that I think when people say that, it's largely sentimental. We know that those people aren't with us. That's why we miss them. That's precisely the point of the resurrection and why we're looking forward to it because we want to see them again. So that's not what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm going to be with you. He's not talking in a sentimental sense. He's talking about a real sense. He says in John 16, verse seven to his disciples, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. He says, it's better for you that I leave. Why? Because if I don't, the helper won't come to you. The helper is the name for the spirit, the advocate. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then in verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. God, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not just gonna be with you in a sentimental sense. I'm gonna be with you by the power of my spirit and I'm gonna do real practical things for you. The spirit will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the spirit is the presence of God in you. And here's the thing, not only does he just, he does amazing things for you, like all the time, he never leaves you. He has, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has never left you. You are not a house to and from which he goes when he feels like it. Once God saves you and places you in his family, you don't wander in and out of it. Now, the Bible does say you can quench the spirit and you can grieve the spirit. We're going to come back to that. But you can never offend him so much that he leaves you. So I think this is an area where we should be careful. And the same way at the beginning, I was talking about the Trinity. We've got to be careful when we talk about the Trinity. Are there three gods? No, no. One God, but three persons. And So here, we, in a similar way, I think we need to be careful. I think sometimes we can talk about the Holy Spirit like he's not here or like he has left. And even some of the things that we say and some things that we sing, I think that they're justifiable, but sometimes the way we mean them just isn't right. It's not what scripture teaches. For example, the line that we'll hear, I mean, I say this in my prayers, it's in our songs, the line, come Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we shouldn't say that. In fact, I think there's a way in which we can say that that's totally appropriate, and I'll show that to you in a second. We can can invite the Spirit to reveal more of God's power to us in fresh ways. But it makes no sense to say, come Holy Spirit, as if he is not already here. That's not a thing that happens. The Spirit never leaves you. In fact, if there's going to be anybody who leaves, it's going to be us, not him. <laughs> that, that's important. You know, in the New Testament, there's a couple di- different kinds of invitations where you see that word come. First of all, the Spirit and the church both say, come Lord Jesus. The Spirit is with us. You see this at the end of Revelation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is here with us. Saying to Jesus, come. The Spirit's like with us wanting Jesus to return. Because he's here. He hasn't left. But then the Spirit also says to us, come. The Spirit is telling us, come. Come to Jesus. That's the whole point of the Spirit. He's always inviting you to come to Jesus. And so you'll often hear people sometimes say, oh man, that service was powerful. The Spirit was really there. Now, the sentiment there is totally legitimate. I mean, there's incredible experiences that we have in the Spirit. Again, we're going to talk more about that in a second. I just want to be careful, encourage you to be careful about how we think about this and talk about it. We do sometimes have uniquely powerful encounters with the Spirit, but it would be wrong to assume that the Spirit is more present in those than in the ones where you're oblivious to anything happening. Because even when you're not mindful of God, He is always mindful of you. He is always with you. So it might be better to say, man, that service was amazing. The Spirit was doing something uniquely powerful today. Yeah, He was. And that kind of experience is the next thing that I want to show you. It's the second thing we need the Spirit for. The church needs to be plunged into the Spirit with power. I'm sneaking some extra peas in if you haven't noticed. (laughs) Now, uh, This next part is going to be a little more controversial for some of us. I'm sure of it. So we read in Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, you need to wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. You're going to be, you're going to be, um, actually what he said is John baptized with water, but I've told you I'm going to baptize you in the spirit and you need to wait for that. Here's what's interesting. That line about John baptizing in water and Jesus baptizing the spirit that shows up in all four gospels and in Acts multiple times. When something shows up that often, you know it's important. John baptized with water. Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, the word baptize just comes from a Greek word that literally means to plunge. So we do baptisms here. That's what happens, right? We plunge somebody into the water. We um, immerse them. And so John the baptizer or John the Baptist is somebody who was doing that. He was going around plunging people into water. Do you realize how close we came to having someone in the Bible named John the Plunger? (laughs) The adolescent in me feels like we came so close (laughs) to some great jokes. (laughs) But if John plunges people into water, it begs, we, we have to ask the question, what does it mean that Jesus will plunge us into the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's just a different phrase for what happens when you, you, know, when you get saved. The Spirit regenerates you and saves you and dwells, dwells in you, and that's the, that's the baptism in the Spirit. And I would say, if you read your Bible carefully, you will realize they cannot be the same thing. They can't. It's just not what's in the Bible. Regeneration, what happens when you become a Christian And the baptism of the Spirit are not the same thing. Regeneration, that's the receiving of the Spirit that comes in at saving faith. Baptism of the Spirit is something else entirely. It can happen in the same moment. But for most people, it seems like it often happens later. It's experiential. It's clear and unmistakable to the person it's happening to, and to the people around them. It's direct. It's it's exceptional, and there's always some kind of power. So it's not the same thing as becoming a Christian. Now this is gonna we're gonna be really careful here, because the language in the Bible is can confuse us. All right, so I'm going to try to walk us through and kind of tease out some of the nuance in the language around these things. And so we can take care here, just like we've, we've been trained to take care when we talk about the Trinity. One God, three persons. When we talk about the work of the Spirit, there's some language we, we need to be careful with. And so we're going to look at this. Um, and, I want to, and I want you to see what this looks like in Scripture. So first of all, you have Jesus' own baptism. Jesus is the son, has always been the son of God. Before, Jesus has eternally begotten of the father. He's been the son of God since before he was even born in the flesh. And yet he has a moment where he gets baptized in water by John, but he comes out and it says the spirit descended on him and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing thing that there was a point at which Jesus had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever reckoned with that? There's a moment where Jesus is fit, plunged into the Holy Spirit. And what happens? A teaching ministry full of miracles and signs and wonders, culminating in his own death that permanently changed the world. Then, Acts 1, Jesus tells his disciples, who by this point, by the way, they are already Christians, but certainly. At this point, they have seen the resurrected Christ, they have saving faith. The disciples that Jesus is talking to in Acts 1, when he's saying, Hey, wait, wait, wait for the power of the Spirit, the Spirit already dwells in them, they already have faith. The Spirit of God has helped them to believe. And yet Jesus says, you must wait. There is, a ba- there is a plunging of the Spirit that's coming. You're going to need power. Wait for the power. And then Pentecost happens. Boom! The Spirit comes like wind. Something like fire over their heads, speaking in tongues. And, and Peter quotes this prophet Joel saying, Joel said there would be a day when the Spirit's going to get poured out and it's happening. I want you to just notice this is interesting. There's a lot of language in the Bible that talks about the Spirit like a fluid. He's like a wind, or he's like a water that gets poured out. He and there's and, and it, it's and fluids are dynamic. And so there's a sense in which you can say it's raining, and then there's a sense in which there can be a cloud burst. And that's what Peter is saying. The Spirit, we've received the Spirit. He dwells in us. We're Christians. But but Joel said one day there's going to be the cloud burst, and it's happening. It's happening right now. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Philip is in Samaria and he's preaching. And when, they, and when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So here you got a whole bunch of folks. They hear the preaching of the word. It comes in like a seed. The spirit illuminates what they've heard. They believe in Jesus and they are baptized in water. They are Christians saved by God. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them, Peter and John, who came down. These are people who are already Christians. And they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Well, wait a minute. I thought they already had the Spirit. Yes, they had his presence, but his power had not descended. There had not been the cloud burst. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And if you go on to read, it doesn't actually say here what was the sign of power, but it was so obvious that something was happening that a man named Simon the Magician offered to pay cash to get that power. That was a bad move, by the way. You can read about that. Don't do that. (laughs) The point is, though, this wasn't just someone making a statement of faith. Something happened that was visible and powerful and obvious. Then in Acts 9, we're not going to look at this in detail. Same thing happens to Saul, this guy who hates Christians. Well, Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus, knocks him down on the ground. It's so intense, he loses his vision, but he gets saving faith. He's he's converted. He goes into town, and Ananias, this guy, comes to him and says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, because Saul is already a brother in the Lord. And then he says, God sent me here to pray for you, and he lays hands on him so that he would receive the Holy Spirit, and he did. And it was powerful because he gets his sight back. And the other sign of his power is actually something similar to what happened to Jesus. Paul gets filled with the Spirit and a preaching ministry begins all through the region that changes the world. Acts 10, you get a story of Cornelius and his family. This one's actually kind of funny to me because it says that Peter is preaching to these people that they are not Christians. He's not even done speaking. It says while he's still speaking the spirit like descends and they get filled they get this baptism of the spirit experience and they start speaking in tongues the sermon's not even done can you imagine like what if i was up here preaching and you guys all just erupted it would be that would be crazy that's kind of what happened to them and it's interesting because it seems like they got saving faith and a baptism of the spirit at the same moment so it's okay you know we don't have to make rules about this for them it happened together then in acts 19 this is to me this is one of the clearest places where you see that regeneration and saving faith don't necessarily have that that's different than the baptism of the Spirit. Verse 2 in Acts 19, Paul's in Ephesus, and he says to the Christians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now that question is a remarkable question because Paul's acknowledging they have believed. They're Christians, they're believers, but he wants to know, have you received the Spirit? So again, in a sense, they have. We would say yes, but in another sense, maybe they haven't. They've had the rain, but have they had the cloudburst? That's what this question is asking. And they said, no, we've, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Friends, you don't have to know hardly anything to be a Christian. Like seriously, you can be wrong about just about everything in life. This is good to remember about all the people who you think get so much stuff wrong. These guys have heard about Jesus, their trust is in him. The Holy Spirit is at work in them. They don't even know who he is. And they're brothers, they're sisters. You can be wrong about so much. Even the people who, there's people who disagree with everything I'm saying about the Holy Spirit, but they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I wouldn't say the Holy Spirit's at work in them. They just don't realize it. (laughs) That's what's happening with these guys. And so he, Paul says, well, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So again, power, tongues, prophecy. So again, recap, here's what we see. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. You can't be a Christian without the Spirit. And yet a careful study of the work and operation of the Holy Spirit will show you that while there's a range of things that he does in the life of the believer, there, and, 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 and while there is his unchanging presence in the life of the believer, uh, there, are po- there are moments of powerful fillings that we would we could call a plunging into the Spirit. A cloudburst kind of moment. Now that word, that, sometimes this language of filling, filling, which we saw a little bit in Acts, that phrase, here's, here's an area where we should just be thoughtful about the language because sometimes the Bible can use the same words but in different senses. And, and being filled with the Spirit gets, is like that, gets used in different senses. For example, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. But you know, the context there, Paul, in Ephesians 5, we're not going to read it, but in Ephesians 5, he's talking about Christian behavior and fellowship, how we interact together. He's actually not talking about what God does. He's talking about what you do, and the Spirit helps you to do it. He helps you to get together, and he talks about singing songs and how we worship together. And so we would, what, what, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5, some theologians would, you know, it's helpful sometimes to have categories or ways of thinking about these things, and that sanctifying role of the Holy Spirit, because that's what's happening in Ephesians 5. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit will sanctify or will make holy your ways of fellowship with other believers. That would be, some theologians would say say that's like a typical or normalizing kind of experience. It's something, it's, it's an experience of the Holy Spirit that's happening all the time, even when you don't realize it. What I am saying is that there is another kind of experience, one that is not normal, one that you can't miss. Again, what's being described in Acts 2 is a, is a pouring out, like that, that cloudburst kind of thing. That's the baptism of the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones says you can compare the baptism of the Spirit as a drenching of the Spirit. Like if you go out in the rain and you get wet, you, you know, you got rained on. But if, if you've ever stood under a cloudburst, you're drenched head to toe. It's in your shoes, you know, you're, you're totally immersed. And the thing about it is this baptism of the Spirit is always entirely in God's control. There's nothing you can do to make this happen. This is not an act of men. It is an act of God. No amount of obedience. And we're going to come back to the importance of asking, but no amount of asking even can guarantee this. God chooses to do it or he doesn't. It's his purpose. You cannot conjure the Holy Spirit. He is not a genie in a bottle. He is the sovereign spirit, the sovereign Lord. But he wants you to ask. He wants you to want this. In Luke 11, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, if you then who are evil, nice thing to say to his own followers, Jesus knows what's in our hearts. He says, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit will be given to everyone who asks. He will dwell in you richly, but occasionally God will, he will do more than just give you his presence. He will drench you in his presence. Do you want that? I mean, do you even have a grid for this? That This is a thing. That has happened and keeps happening. And it's not just in the Bible. The whole testimony of the church confirms it. Thomas Aquinas. Maybe the most famous. Well one of the most famous. Probably top three theologians in the last 2,000 years. Some of you are smirking. You know who the other two are. Thomas Aquinas you know, 13th century. He wrote one of the most impressive works of theology. That's ever been written. The Summa Theologica. And he had not yet finished it. He was at church, a normal church service, and he had an experience of God that left him permanently changed, permanently changed. He had something that could be considered like a vision, some powerful experience. And his friend later said, we've got to finish this work. And he never finished it because he said, everything I've written is straw compared to what I've seen. He was baptized into the spirit. Blaise Pascal, 17th century mathematician, Christian apologist, experienced something that he called the night of fire, and he wrote about it in all caps. Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, joy, joy, t- joy, tears of joy. This experience left him permanently changed. He said it lasted for two hours, a presence that he had never experienced before. So powerful that those words and others, he wrote down and stitched on the inside of his jacket because it so affected him. A baptism of the Holy Spirit. John Owen, the 17th century Puritan, talking of this joy that can come from the Holy Spirit, he described it as a filling with gladness and exaltation and sometimes even unspeakable raptures of the mind. Something that happens that is so incredible, you you don't even have words for it. Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan pastor, describes an experience in the soul that is a light beyond the light of ordinary faith. Uh, ordinary faith is a miracle. <laughs> like the fact that anyone believes is a miracle. It's a work of the Spirit. And there's a kind of a light that comes into you and changes you. And, and Goodwin says there is a light even beyond the ordinary light. It's the baptism of the Spirit. And then there's the American evangelist, D.L. Moody. He Became convinced that he needed more power of the Lord for his ministry. And he wanted this baptism in the spirit. And he prayed for it and prayed for it. A greater blessing. A greater filling of the Holy Spirit. And then it happened. And he wrote about it. And he said the experience of God's love was so overwhelming that he had to ask God to. And I quote, stay his hand. Because he felt like the love of God was crushing him. That's the baptism of the spirit. Friends. Friends. I would say some of us, maybe even many of us have not had this experience. And I'm here to tell you two things. You are no less loved by God. Those experiences don't make anybody a Christian. They don't even make you a better Christian. You are no less a Christian if you've not been plunged into the spirit like that. The question is, this is the second thing I wanna tell you. You should want it. Do you want it? the kind of experience that will change your life, the kind of power that makes people's mouth hang open, the kind of power the church needs so that she can show the world how great her God is. Do you want it? The Bible says you should want it. And for the right reasons. One of the manifestations of the form of this power is especially worth mentioning. When Peter quoted from Joel in Acts 2, he said, the time is now, God's pouring out his spirit, not on a select few like Moses and Elijah, but on everybody. On all flesh, great and small, men and women, old and young. But what Joel emphasizes specifically is that the people that the Spirit is poured out on, they will prophesy. And so the power of the Spirit can take on many forms, but I wanna highlight one specific form. The church needs the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now we're getting really controversial. Some of you are wondering if we're gonna bring out snakes, and we're not. <laughs> But some people, those things are associated, you know, you, you've, maybe for some of us, we only even heard about prophecy in sort of contexts that seem maybe weird, maybe weird for the wrong reasons, maybe weird for the right reasons. I just want to help you see that we still need this gift because it gets a lot of attention in the Bible, all through Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, over and over in Acts, when people were baptized in the spirit, this, it doesn't always happen, but it happens a lot. And Joel said it would be one of the hallmarks of the baptism of the spirit was prophecy. Now, prophecy can be understood as many things. There's a sense in which anytime someone boldly declares the word of God, there's a sense in which that's prophetic. That's what prophets did. They declared the things of the Lord. But often prophets, what they would, the power in prophecy is revealed in that the prophet has been given, has, something has been revealed to the prophet by God, a kind of knowledge that only God could have a great example of this is in Acts 11. So the churches, um, you know, things are happening, things are growing. In Acts 11, it says this. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets in the plural. But these are just regular guys who have been plunged into the spirit of God and have been given power. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. By the way, that famine happened. It's in the historical record. Agabus was right. The spirit was right. And so the disciples determined everyone, according to his own ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And so here, they're helped practically. They, they made better decisions because the Spirit showed them something they couldn't have seen. The church needs this gift. One of the most extensive treatment of the gifts is in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through chapter 14. Paul tells the church they should eagerly desire the gifts, especially that they might prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14. You got to reckon with this passage, fellow believers. You got to make up your mind. Is prophecy a thing? Because if it is, look at what he says. Pursue love and earnestly desire. Not hold out at arm's length for the weirdos. Because I know that's what some of us do. I did that for a very long time. I came out of a hyper charismatic background where some of these things were done really well. Some of it was not done well. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And I spent years agonizing over this verse. It's not I got to make up my mind. It's real or it's not. And if it's real, then Paul says, I have to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you might prophesy. Why? Well, for the one who speaks in the tongue, speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, here's why you should want to prophesy. They prophets speak to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. It's not about you looking great. It's about blessing other people. I got so many stories from my life I could tell you. I'll just tell you one. In 2018, I went through um, a period of serious internal angst. Um, And I'm not going to get into the details of what had happened. But I began to feel like um, I need to make a decision. And it was a very difficult decision. And I was tore up about it. And it was also very personal. And I had told my wife a little, but I hadn't told anybody else. Nobody else knew. Not Donnie, not the guys, not Ryan, not, not Andrew, not any, not, not, none of my closest friends, nobody except Kimberly. And I hadn't even told her everything about how I was really feeling. I was so nervous to say it out loud. Have you ever had that? It's like, you feel like once you say it, it's like gonna become more real. You know? then what? And then I got to do something with the fact that I told people this, how I'm feeling. Well, I was preaching at our church, uh, our, our site, um, One Harbor Havelock. We're in Uber now. We used to be in Havelock. And I was up there doing a Sunday service. And after, this, after the service, a guy comes up to me who I've never met before. I, like, f- this is our first interaction. All he does is come up and say, I feel like the Lord has given me something to tell you. Now, in my experience this is either going to be really good or really terrible. <laughs> When a total stranger introduces themselves that way, I mean, I still got some of my past in me. I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. (laughs) And this man began to describe in explicit and vivid terms exactly what I was thinking. Guy read my mail, told me what I was feeling, why I was feeling it, described the decision that I felt like I was facing. So you can just, I'm like, my mouth is just hanging open. I'm like, Kimberly talked to you? (laughs) And then he said, look, I feel like God has told me to come tell you that he has made a plan for you. And that the things that I was so stressed about and felt like I had to make this decision that he told me, he told me the decision to make. And what would happen? And I thought what was going to happen was going to take two to five years. And in nine months, what that man said came to pass. Now, Paul said the reason people prophesy is they speak to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement, their consolation. I'll never forget that moment. I've never, I have not had moments where I felt more cared for by the Lord. Because he cared enough about how I was feeling to send someone to me to help me. Friends, that's the whole point. The church needs this. Think about how many people are dealing with what I was dealing with. How many people got angst? How many people get facing decisions? The church and the Lord knows everything. And he gives gifts to the church to bless the church. It's for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Here's the thing. If you forget the why, then the ministry of the Spirit will either be quenched or your gifts will be corrupted. This, and so this is the next thing. The purpose of the Spirit is to minister the love of Christ. This is what it's about. And if it's not about this, it goes bad immediately. It's easily forgotten. And the church in Corinth, frankly, is famous for forgetting this point. They were a church, if you read the whole letter, it becomes very clear. They obsessed about knowledge and spiritual gifts. And it wasn't about the love of Christ. It was about exalting themselves. And things got really weird. You know what's the most amazing thing? Paul didn't say in 1 Corinthians, Paul, what he didn't do is say, hey, don't use the gifts. You guys have really blown it. You need to like dial it back. He he actually tells them to press back in. Earnestly, I mean, 1 Corinthians would probably not be written to any church that we know of. That, like, we're on the opposite end. The church in Corinth, it was chaos. If ever there was a church where it would have been right to say, hey guys, let's just uh, ease it off the accelerator with the whole Holy Spirit thing, Paul doesn't do that. He he tells them to earnestly desire them, but he reminds them why you do this really matters. And that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle. And the whole thing about this great passage that we love at weddings, it's not about weddings. It's about spiritual gifts. And I'm not saying we can't use it at weddings. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying 1 Corinthians 13, which is about love is patient, love is kind. The whole thing is about spiritual gifts. It opens up and Paul says, hey, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. I'm like, it's just noise. If I have prophetic powers and all faith, but I don't have love, it's nothing. If the spirit dwells in me and I've been plunged into the power of the spirit, even those things without love, they amount to nothing. The purpose of the Spirit is always to reveal and minister the love of Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, look, when the helper comes, the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's his job. It's always about showing off the love of Christ. That's what the ministry of the Spirit is about. So if the Spirit dwells in you, if you're a Christian and the Spirit dwells in you, It's so you would know Christ and the love of God. And if the Spirit has given you gifts, and by the way, you all have gifts. Everyone, if you're good at anything, it is a gift of the Spirit. It's so you can serve and testify about Christ and the love of God. And if the Spirit has drenched you, it is to bless you with an experience of Christ and the love of God. Thomas Goodwin, that Puritan, he said, here's a way of thinking about the drenching of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit. He said, imagine a a father and a son are walking down the road and the father has a son by the hand and the son knows his father and is totally secure in his father's love and they're walking down the road. And all of a sudden, for reasons of his own choosing, the father stops, bends down, scoops up his son, throws him up in the air, wraps him in his arms, rubs his hands through his hair, tells him, I love you, looks in his eyes, laughs and then sets him down, takes him by the hand, and they keep walking. Thomas Goodwin said, that is the baptism of the Spirit. It's the drenching of the Spirit, and it's all to show you your Father loves you. That's what it's about. So as we get ready to close, what are we supposed to do? I'll say two things. We obey and we pray. The New Testament says it's possible to grieve and even quench the spirit. And I would say the primary way that happens is through disobedience. Just sin. I know, see, God will always love you. Even when you sin on your worst day, he'll love you. But the degree to which he pours out the spirit is affected by how we live before him. And this should make sense to us because the spirit is all about showing off the love of Christ to those who love him. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, You'll obey me. And so many people want the drenching of the spirit. They want the raptures of the mind. They want the power. But they don't want it for love. Not for love's sake. They want the gift more than they want the giver. And that is never a good thing. Friends, if you want, if you want the Holy Spirit, if you want the gift, repent and turn towards the giver. You have idols. Do you know what they are? Turn from them. Turn from distraction. Turn to turn him in obedience. And then pray and plead for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Plead the promises. That's what Jesus told the disciples. The promise of the Father. Ask, beg, and don't stop asking. You can turn from sin and say, Father, grant me the power of your Holy Spirit so I can love you more and make your love known to others more. I told you about D.L. Moody. Do you know how he felt like he needed the power of the Spirit? And for six months, the way he writes about it, it sounds like he didn't stop crying out for six months. Months, He said he'd rather, he got to the point he felt like he'd rather die than not have the power of the spirit. And it was after that six months of praying and pleading that Jesus plunged his servant, D.L. Moody, into the Holy Spirit. Do you not yet believe? Plead for the spirit. He will come in and give you saving faith. Have you believed your whole life? That's so wonderful. The spirit lives in you is leading you and guiding you, pray and plead for more of his power. And are you already well acquainted with the baptism of the Spirit? Then I charge you to pray and plead for others to know the love of God like you have come to know it and that they would know it even more. Let's do that now together. Lord, we want to pray and plead for more, more power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're always with us. In a sense, you're always raining onto us, your presence. There's never been a moment you haven't been with us, but we want the burst, And we want it because we want to know how much you love us and so we can help other people know how much you love us. We say yes to the promises of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: All right, so that wraps up our podcast today, the sermon with Brian Hart. I hope that you enjoyed that. And next week, Pastor Brian Hart is going to be on our podcast and I'll be interviewing him about that sermon. And so um, if you have questions or you just want to learn more, next week is going to be a great week to tune into. And again, I want to remind you if you are ready to jump back into the routine of Bible study, come and study God's Word with me inside the Treasured Tribe. Go to treasuredtribe.com, sign up, and then you'll get an email from me. And we get to study God's Word together this fall. Yoo-hoo! All right, you guys have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening in. Have a great day. Bye now.